0: Morning, friends. How are we doing today? My team won yesterday, the Oilers. So hopefully, all right. There's always a few. It's good. It's good. Uh, we are up at Game Five this week. That great, thrilling one-minute overtime loss. Uh, that uh, that was the worst. So, um, so my prayers are done. I know some of you are wanting our prayer time to be for the Flames, so we can. We can certainly tag that on at the end. One of the things that we, we love to do around here is pray as a community. And it's hard because we come in and we can put on the right clothes on Sunday. We can say the right things in the lobby. But if we were all honest, we'd all figure out that we need Jesus. And asking for help sometimes comes from the God who can feel like he's way upstairs and has a million other things to do. And sometimes it can feel hard to ask the community when this is God's way of doing business here on earth is in and through us. And I love that sometimes we get to be the answer to some of the prayer requests that are aching in our hearts uh don't ever hesitate to ask us for help uh and then you know we'll go to god so let's pray uh, as we celebrate the opportunity to go to god in prayer god you're great we are humbled that we get to go to you in prayer we thank you for the way that we get to interact as a community some of us are here today some of us Uh, are at home we thank you that you supersede the airwaves you supersede the physical uh, world that we live in and that you are a god who already is working on our behalf thank you for the last song the worship team sung which was all about you jesus We thank you that the video led us into another reminder that the name of Jesus conquered death. Lord, it is humbling to to pronounce your name, the one who was the rescuer, the redeemer, the savior of the world. Uh, Lord, we, we pray for the different prayer requests that we have. We pray that you would go before us, that you would... Supersede in ways we can't even imagine, that you would be a God who would lavish your love upon us, your children. We count it a privilege to call out to you in prayer. This is not something we do because we have to. It's something we do because we want to. We want to commune with you. We want to get to know you better. In the next few minutes, may, may my words... Truly reflect what you have in store for us, teach me, Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. The interesting thing before we we get into jehovah uh, Shalom, the God of, of peace is this that that you know that the church is god 's representative here on earth, and you and I get to be a part of that. I love looking at the cinder block here, not because I love cinder block, but the the cinder block is very uniform. It it all looks the same. But when God brings us together as a church, it's not like cinder block. Uh, if, if we went down to the the Bow River and we grabbed rocks, and I said, grab a, a handful of rocks and bring them to the church, and we're going to build the the building, <laughs> it would take a lot of work to fit all those different pieces in for those pieces to be a mosaic of what God is actually doing but that's what the church actually looks like the the, the church not this physical building but the church is a lot like us all bringing our little stone that doesn't look like anybody else's stone And that mosaic that God is orchestrating, that fabric that God's orchestrating is actually something that we look at and it shows to the world that there is a savior of the world. God is building his church in and through us. And that's a great privilege that you and I get to to be a part of. I want to encourage you to find your place in it and embrace it. I would love to go, you know what, my rock's not needed, so I'll just keep it in my pocket and just attend, but your rock is needed. And, uh, and we're excited to be on this journey. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned, the, the human race, and we know this, has not functioned the way that it was meant to be. It might be because you and I have let too much of the world in. It might be that at other times we've given in to Satan. At other times we are we just keep falling into that trap of, of sin. Or maybe it's the circumstances of a broken world where it's not functioning the way that we want it to be. Our bodies aren't functioning the way that, that they were meant to be or our relationships aren't functioning the way that they should be. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, and we're going to do a ton of Scripture today, so uh, a lot of it will be on the screen, some of it won't be, uh, scribble it down so you can look at it later. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. Now, this book, Judges chapter 2, for some of you, you just pressed it on your iPhone. For some old school people, it's like you're flipping through it, you're trying to remember where Judges is. It tells a very tough time in the history of Israel. Things are not perfect. Things are not functioning the way that they should be. Judges 2 verse 18 and 19 says this. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. Okay, good story so far. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. Now we see the change in the story. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshipping them. Then look at the end of this. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. They refused. Now, if you were to flip, and you don't need to do this, if you were to flip to the end of Judges, Judges 21 verse 25 says this. This is how this book ends. Everyone did as they saw fit. So from Judges 2 to Judges chapter 21, we see this cycle where seven different occasions. We read the people crying out after a period of rebellion, and going back to God. They would suffer for a long time and then they would repent. They would be sorry. And God would restore them with rest and peace. And then they would begin that process all over again. So, before we get into Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, how do we actually break ourselves out of this cycle that you and I find ourselves in? Going to God, stepping away from God. Going to God, stepping away from God. Going to God, stepping away from God. Here's the very first one. If you have your Bibles, Judges chapter 6. Just flip a few chapters. Judges chapter 6. The very first one, to break our struggle. We always need to recognize what our struggle is. We need to recognize what our struggle is. So four ways to break out of the cycle of sin. The very first one, we always need to recognize what our shortcoming is. What our struggle is. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of these people, the Midians, was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves. Look where the the guys are hiding. In mountain clefts, in caves, in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded their country. Verse 4. They camped on the land. They ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. They did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. They came up with their livestock. They had their tents like swarms of locusts. Here's a great description of how powerful these people are. It is impossible to count them or their camels. And they simply invaded the land just to ravage it. It was during one of these two common, all too common in, in episodes that God called Gideon. Now we know Gideon. Gideon shows up on the scene. We find the nation of Israel in typical fashion having turned their backs on God once again. After a a time of prosperity, a time of joy, of success for the nation, the people got proud. They turned away from God. Doesn't that sound like you and me? When things start to go well in our life, what do we do? We start to drift. We receive a, a few blessings. We start to drift away from our relationship with God. Maybe we start to slow down in our serving. Maybe we start to become selfish with our time or our talents or our treasures. Look back at verse 1 in Judges chapter 6. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe they were scared. They were extremely powerful. They were under oppression. The the name Midian actually means this, and this is really interesting. The name Midian means strife. Things were so bad that these people left their homes. They were living in bunkers. They had no peace at all. In fact, they were starting to fall apart as a nation. The first step Whenever we're in that cycle of, of sin or ignoring of God means that we need to admit our shortcomings to, to God. Here, here's the second one. We actually need to request from God what we want. Listen to verse 6 back there in, in Judges. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Now finally, after seven long years, The Israelites cried out to God. Now, I don't know why it took seven years. It seems like that's a long time, but if I start to look at my own life, I see the similar pattern. I wait until I can't take it any longer. And then I finally reach out to God. We know that God's trying to get our attention, but maybe you and I hold out thinking that the solution is just right around the corner. Even when God allows stuff to happen in our life, we often refuse to repent or come back to God. Has it been a while since you've called out for help? It's time to turn to God, the one who can help. Here's the third thing that when we're in that cycle, we always need to receive the life-giving truth that's from God. If you have some time this afternoon, I'd actually like you to read verses 7 through 21. I'll I'll give you a little highlight of it, but verse 7 through 21, and we learn all kinds of things about the life-giving truth from God. I, I love verse 7. If you want to look, look at verse 7. I love verse 7 because it shows us that when we cry out to God, God always responds. In this case, God responds really simply by sending this unnamed prophet to remind them of their history. Do you remember where we've been? Do you remember what God did in the past? And then God delivers this message in verse 10. Look at verse 10. Calling for surrender and full devotion. Verse 10 says this, I am the Lord your God. I am. Do not worship the gods of these strong people, but remember you haven 't listened to me. See well, God wants you and me to actually actually ask for help. He wants us to to receive, even if it hurts. These people had forgotten about who God was; they needed to admit that Now, I want you to go with me into Sunday school. Many of you grew up in Sunday school. You remember the flannel graph? You remember things like that? Now, in Sunday school, we would have heard about this guy named Gideon. Gideon uh, is, is a guy who we get introduced by was he's threshing some wheat in this story. He's trying to thresh some wheat to keep it from the Midianites. Remember, the Midianites were these strong people who took everything. They ravished the land. The Hebrew word actually that is used in verses 7 through 21 to describe what Gideon's doing is it means hiding. Now a wine press, a little history here, a wine press uh, was made out of stone. It was built underground. When someone would actually thresh the wheat, they would do it in the wide open. Now why did they do it in the wide open? was so the wind could come and take away all the chaff. Now The mighty Gideon is is a hero who's actually in hiding. He's defeated. He's discouraged. He's starting to be filled with doubts and fear. He's doing this in the basement. He's afraid of what's going on out there in the nation, but he's more afraid of what's going on inside of him. Doesn't that describe you and me? At at times, the world looks chaotic, and God's looking at us going, But Matt, you need to be the answer to that. Gideon in verse 12, look at what verse 12 tells us. Verse 12 tells us that the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says these powerful words Gideon, the Lord is with you, you're a mighty warrior. This time God didn't send a prophet, he didn't send an intern, he didn't send an angel who is just learning. It says that he sends the angel of the Lord, which most scholars believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. Here's what the cool thing is with this story, and this is why I want you to read it this afternoon. In Hebrew, this phrase, the Lord is with you, actually is the root name to the is the root to the name Emmanuel, God with us. After being called a mighty warrior, Gideon questions God out loud, wondering why a bunch of bad things have happened to his people. Verse 14, if you still have your Bibles open, it reveals that God actually turns to Gideon. He rotated, he change direction he looks at Gideon and says go in the strength that you have that you already have and save Israel out of Midian's hands and then these powerful words and maybe this needs to ring true in us today am I not sending you Gideon does what I would do. I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm from the weakest link in this clan. I'm the youngest in my family. God confirms what he wants Gideon to do with this in verse 16. I will be with you. See, Gideon is given a, a commission, but he's also promised companionship. This is madology. Don't put it in your notes. Do you notice that God never answered Gideon's questions? Maybe the answer was obvious. He didn't need to answer that. Or maybe it's because God wanted Gideon to understand that obedience to God is the greatest way that you can show God you actually love him. For me this week, what a great reminder it was. How dare I demand answers from God? when we won't even do what I have been asked to do. Gideon then does something amazing, and this is into Sunday school. Gideon does something amazing, and he asks for a few signs just to be sure this is God. So he says to God, just wait, I'm going to go bake some bread, and then I'm going to throw a goat on the grill. The meal is placed on a rock as an offering for the angel. It's consumed by God's holy flames. And Gideon then realizes that it's God. And the fourth thing that that we want, if we want to break the cycle that we need to do is we only need to respond to God in worship. The only response we have is worship. When Gideon realizes that he's in the presence of the Almighty, he cries out in verse 22. Look back at verse 22. Ah, sovereign Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord. And in the original text, he uses these fancy words that you maybe have heard before, Adonai and Yahweh. He's finally come to this point of submitting to God and he's now in worship. And Gideon flips and he now realizes that he's been in the presence of God, which he knows from history that when you're in the presence of God, you usually don't live. Exodus 33 verse 20 maybe was ringing in Gideon's ears, you cannot see my face for no one can see God and actually live. In in verse 23, the Lord says to him, if you have your Bibles open, I actually want you to look at this because this is a huge shift for us. I, I want you to notice that it's not the angel of the Lord. It now says, The Lord. Peace. Don't be afraid, Gideon. You're not going to die. Friends, I think we underestimate the power of these words. This is one of those stories that we've just kind of glazed over. You see, Gideon and his people did not have peace for seven long years. They were afraid. They were worried. They were scared. The Lord instead looked at Gideon and said, peace. Gideon was about to experience ultimate peace, peace with God, peace with himself, and peace with others. To a man who did not know peace for over seven years, this was the ultimate promise. Gideon would have been bursting for joy because of this promise. And so Gideon does something in verse 24. It says, Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. Friends, this is the first. And I believe it's the only time that we see in Scripture these two words put together, Jehovah Shalom. The great I Am, the one who puts the stones into being, the one who put... The birds in the air, the one who created everything, suddenly is the perfect peace. So what's the significance of shalom? The Lord said, shalom, peace, to Gideon where he could have easily shamed him. Gideon, in turn, had his whole view of God completely changed where he makes a memorial to Jehovah Shalom. Now, no doubt you and I have heard the word shalom. It's one of those Hebrew words that we would actually be familiar with. It's well-known. Maybe we've heard it, but we don't necessarily understand it. There's no English word that can communicate the richness of shalom. So what we need to do for the next few minutes is actually look at a bunch of words that are going to make up shalom. So stay with me on this. A bunch of synonyms. Now, shalom means this. It means wholeness. It means completion. It means fulfillment. It means harmony. It means all those things with God and with one another. For Gideon to hear the word shalom from God meant that he was at harmony. He was in relationship with the Holy One. Shalom also Signifies for people this sense of of well-being on the inside and on the outside. It's also used to describe health, happiness, quietness of the soul, tranquility, prosperity, and security. Isaiah describes it beautifully in Isaiah 48 verse 18 where it says, If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace, your shalom would have been like a river. See, shalom also is used as a greeting and as also to say goodbye and everything that's in between the greeting and the goodbye. It's the best blessing of one's life. It's the ultimate. Numbers 6, verse 24 through 26, sometimes we'll say this at the end of the service, Hopefully today you'll get a different appreciation for shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Shalom is wrapped in the ultimate person of who Jesus is. See, in John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus said this, Peace, shalom, I give to you. My shalom, I leave with you. I don't give to you as the world gives. That fleeting peace, that one day it's peaceful, the next day it's not. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. The peace that the Prince of Peace actually provides is far different than anything that you and I can ever find in this world. Warren Wiersbe says this, that the world bases its peace on what it has, its resources, Well, God's peace depends on a relationship. In fact, in John 16, Jesus said that the world will actually be against us. I have told you these things, So that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I have already won. I have overcome the world. Which means, how do we wreck shalom in our life? How do we wreck peace in our life? Well, the first area is pretty simple disobedience. The Bible's really clear that we're in conflict with God because of our sin. I love what Paul says in Ephesians when he's writing to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 2, 3, he declares that we're actually objects of God's wrath. See, mankind has always been at odds with with God. Ever since Adam and Eve decided to disobey, we're at war with him. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says this, that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom, wholeness, completeness, the whole package was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Friends, he was punished in order to bring us into a relationship with Jehovah Shalom. Isaiah 57 actually continues this scene. Isaiah 57 verse 20 says, But the wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no shalom, no peace, says my God, for the wicked. We know we won't rest until we receive who Jesus is. Luke one seventy nine declares that Jesus will guide our feet to the path, into the path of peace. Luke chapter 2, you remember the angels appearing in the sky. What did they say? Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Romans 5.1 says that when you and I put our faith in Christ, we're justified and have what? Shalom, peace with God. Colossians 1.20 says that Jesus made peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, the Greek word for peace means to join together, to bind, to put together what is broken. We're in gardening season right now. And maybe for some of you, you put some plants back into clay pots. Maybe you have a big clay pot, maybe you have a small clay pot. The interesting thing with a clay pot is I could throw it on the ground and it would be broken. God is in the business of collecting all those pieces and putting us back together. That's what shalom is. And completeness here on this broken world doesn't ever mean that it'll be like the clay pot was. It'll always show the broken pieces. There'll be missing pieces. But the clay pot still can be used for its ultimate purpose, which is to grow something in it. And so the clay pot of our lives will always show the marks of a broken world, but shalom is the rebuilder. Are you at peace right now? The the New Geneva Study Bible actually said this, and it described shalom perfectly. Shalom is the symphony of life made meaningful through a right relationship with God. Man, I want shalom. Man, I want Jehovah Shalom to look at me just like he did at Gideon and say, Matt, peace. Don't be afraid. You're not going to die. But maybe my response today needs to be Adonai, Elohim. You've created me, but I have not been allowing you to be Lord of my life. I'm not at peace because I'm a sinner. I confess that I've been thrown back and forth. I need to repent of my own desire to live. Thank you for making peace with me through the blood of Jesus on the cross. See, Gideon built an altar to memorialize his encounter with Jehovah Shalom. Well, that was the first area that we can break shalom or peace in our life. Here's the second one with distress. You know, there's all kinds of dragons in our life. There's sin, there's distress, there's fear, there's all kinds of things that just kind of enter in. You remember what Gideon did to break the cycle after seven years? He recognized their shortcomings. He requested from God what he needed. He received that life-giving truth from God and he responded in worship. Most of us in this room would go, we're not living in gross sin. But maybe we've let fear and anxiety creep in. You and I waste a lot of time in worry. It, in worry, it paralyzes us. The Greek word for worry actually means this, to draw us in different directions and to get distracted. So how, how do we get rid of distress? How do we actually bring peace when our default is to worry? I think we need to identify what's wrecking our peace. I love what Paul writes in Philippians to that church. He said this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, give your request to God. The the word for prayer is not what we tend to think of. We think of prayer sometimes as, like, let's just give the list. Prayer here actually means to focus on the character by adoring who God actually is, declaring back to him his attributes and his names. Make specific requests. The interesting piece with that Philippians 4 is, actually in verse 5, Paul tells us, be careful because the Lord is near. And then in verse 7, it says this, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. All understanding. That peace of God will actually guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Remember a few weeks ago we had the the Easter play and we got that great image of the disciples in the boat as it's rocking and, and here's Jesus rebuking the wind and bringing calm to the wind. That's Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom is the God who still speaks those same words to us today. Maybe the stress, the winds of worry. Simply ask God to take control. I love this verse from Isaiah 26 verse 3 that just says, You will keep in perfect peace, in perfect shalom. You will keep in wholeness, completeness. Him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. The word shalom is actually used twice in that verse. God will keep us in shalom, shalom, when we allow his word to work within us. David penned these words in Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace have they who, sh- who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what's the third thing that wrecks peace or shalom in our life? Disunity or discord? Maybe you're like me. You could say, Matt, you know what? I'm experiencing peace with God today. I have a good level of personal peace. But maybe you're at war with a fellow believer or family member a co-worker a neighbor a friend i love how jesus talked about shalom in matthew chapter 5 verse 9 he said this blessed are the peacemakers not the peacekeepers not the ones that just go around and make sure that they just kind of sit in the middle blessed are the shalom makers for they will be called sons of god James 3 verse 18 promises a reward to those who get rid of disunity. He says this, peacemakers who sow in peace will always raise a harvest of righteousness. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. Paul continued that a few chapters later in Romans 14 verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Shalom. Colossians 3 verse 15. Let the shalom of Christ, the peace of Christ, rule in our hearts since as members of one body you were called to shalom. See, as we put Jesus where he belongs in our life, as we put Jesus where he belongs in our community, in our church, and in our world, our natural tendency will always be to come together. Let me close before we walk into communion with a blessing from 1, uh, sorry, Second Thessalonians 3.16. Now, may the Lord of peace, may the ultimate shalom, give you shalom at all times. And in every way, may the Lord be with all of you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the reminder of shalom. We're humbled that you actually decided that you would be the ultimate example of not just how to live on this world, in this world, but the ultimate example of peace. May we not shortchange peace just to be things that we sweep under the carpet. May peace not just be us going, well, I need to just, I need to meet in the middle. I need to give halfway. May we actually be people who bring about a wholeness, a completeness. A way to function inside and outside. Lord, even though this is a broken world, you are greater than what is in this broken world. And so we pray that we would be shalom makers to a world that desperately needs shalom. For our friends that are in Ukraine, God, may you work in a way we can't even imagine or believe. May you continue to protect our brothers and sisters. May they understand peace just like Gideon did in a huge way. And Lord, may may we not just simply be bystanders in a world that's unfolding around us. May we be agents of restoration to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I don't think there's a better way to end the service than by taking communion especially in what we've talked about today. If you want to grab your, your elements, they're right in front of you. The, the deal with communion is simply that you need to have accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, this would be a great opportunity for you to do that. As you've heard about the Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, may you actually walk into that understanding that he came to give you life and give it to you in a full way. Each one of these elements represents something. It takes us back to the Lord's Supper. Some of us growing up can remember in the church or in our homes, we'd have the picture of the Lord's Supper. It was a nice staged photo. They all sat on the right side of the table. They looked really good together. And the Lord's Supper is something that's really huge for us as Christ followers. The Lord's Supper was his opportunity to actually begin the process of completion of why he was here on earth. Jesus did some pretty cool things here on earth. He healed people. He spoke to the wind and it stopped. He performed miracles where he turned water into wine. He did things that were unimaginable. And we can look at that and go, wow, those things were really amazing. But the most amazing thing was when he went to the cross and died for our sins. Because what Jesus was all about was restoring a relationship, bringing back a relationship that was fractured. In between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read about these 400 years of silence. Friends, God is not a silent God. God wants to commune with us. So whatever is going on inside of us, Jesus' death on the cross actually gives us the opportunity to cry out to him. We don't have to do it through sacrifices. We don't have to do it through rituals. We simply just have to come to Jesus and go, man, I need a savior. I need someone who can save. And some of us in our lives, we have some huge things that God needs to save. And so Jesus, as he stood, as he sat there at the Lord's Supper, he talked about the body that was broken. And for me, it's always a great image that the body that was broken represented the physicalness of jesus because sometimes we can get lost in the spiritualness of jesus like he didn't feel the emotions that that we feel or he didn't feel the pain that you and i feel or he didn't feel the rejection because he just kind of walked as an actor would walk in a play but the the humanness the body that was broken was jesus's way of going i am with you Like, I've felt what you felt. And so as he looked at his disciples and he went, this body's going to be broken for you, they would have had no clue. They were still holding on to the fact that Jesus was going to come, like, riding on this white pony, and everybody was going to go, he's the king, finally. And Jesus was choosing this, this life that was full of great pain. And so today, as, as, you, as we take the, the body, the bread that was broken for us, we, we do this in a, in, a, in a way to remind us that, that Jesus is our example. And that his body that was broken for us was the ultimate sacrifice. It's the only way that this could have happened. He was the perfect lamb. They used to have to bring lambs. He was the perfect lamb. And so Jesus took the bread and he said something that I'm going to say to you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take this bread together. Jesus, thank you for that sacrifice of your body. It's humbling to us to think when you proclaimed On the cross, my Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? To feel that aloneness doesn't even begin to to be in the same place that our aloneness at times can feel like here on earth. We thank you that you sacrificed your body as the ultimate sacrifice. You were the perfect lamb. Thank you for that gift. And then Jesus took the, the cup, it might have been a few minutes after, I don't think it was right, like bang, bang. And, and and there would have been all kinds of questions the disciples were asking. The disciples, after three and a half years with Jesus, were getting more and more comfortable with Jesus. The questions were starting to, to become more and more prevalent as they were trying to understand what is he actually asking us to do? And Jesus took the cup, and and he was quite excited about this because it was going to be the ushering in of the new covenant. This is that spiritual peace. The body broken was that 100% man. The the blood that was shed is the 100% spiritual where suddenly there was going to be that restoration of a relationship. And that restoration of relationship came with this great symbol we see blood throughout the old testament and new testament where we remember the people of god having to paint their doorpost and the angel would protect them it signified something and the blood that that jesus was that was shed was signifying here we go it's a new relationship it started So grab your cup. Jesus looked at his disciples, his friends, just like he looks at us today. And he says that this blood is is for the forgiveness of sins. It's got to mean something. And the forgiveness of sins is so that you and I can actually have a relationship with God Almighty again. And so today, as you take this cup, as you drink what signifies his blood, may you understand that your sins are forgiven. Doesn't matter what you do, God still forgives you. Doesn't matter what's in your past, God still forgives you. And that this ushers in a whole new relationship with him. Let's take together. Jesus, thank you for the blood that has brought a new relationship with you. We are in awe of who you are. We're humbled by your goodness. Lord, may we not just be people who proclaim you're you're alive, like Paul tells us to in Corinthians, but may we actually be people who bring about peace to a world that needs it. We love and adore you. May those words from numbers ring so true in our hearts. May the words that God has spoken over us truly be the ones that ring true in our ears and in our hearts as we walk out of here. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.